0: Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the JU Israel Teacher's Lounge. We're here to connect you to things that are going on in Israel and make you feel like you're part of Israel's story. And I'm here this week, I'm Michael Unterberg, I'm here this week with my co-host as always, Alan Goldman. How you
1: doing, Alan? Doing great, especially since we changed venues and we're now at Café Paris, across from the Agron Center. Shout out to you nativers out there. That's right, so either
0: way, coffee was, was... was consumed in the teacher's lounge. That's pretty much a standard. And we are joined this week, as we often are, by the Zen master of Israel articulation, Zev Ben Shachar. How's it going, Zev? Hello, hello. Haven't heard from Zev in a while, so it's good to have him back. Today we wanted to reflect a little bit on uh, the fires, what exactly happened, and what are the implications for Israel today and Israel in the future. And we also wanted to talk about sort of some of the issues that it brings up uh, defining what terrorism is and what terrorism isn't. So, since there's been some back and forth about that. So let's start with just a quick review of what happened. We can now look back on it. Of course, it's probably going to rain this week, which is pretty much what we needed last week. But, Alan, can you just, you, you, were, you were talking about just some basic numbers and statistics to wrap our head around what was an ongoing story. Looking back,
1: like what, just reviewing what happened. Okay, so just let's put it down straight. In The, the main part of what happened was that about uh, about a week ago, Israel started experiencing some very unusually dry and very windy weather, which like pretty much anywhere in the world is a recipe for um, wildfires. Of course, you know Israel's wooded lands and what have you. Pretty much, unfortunately, what's happening today in Tennessee, um, they're also experiencing wildfires, but it's very hard to put out and very hard to locate and to... And, to get, and then when they sweep through, they sweep through quickly. And because Israel has a lot of, of course, isolated communities, um, they're even at more at, at risk. So um, last, for that week period, there was about 1,773 fires in Israel. As you know, Israel's not a big country. Um, and uh, that was um, really from the north through the center of the country, pretty much. Um, where most of the, where almost the entire, entire um, population lives.
0: I mean, once you head south, you don't really have forests.
1: Right. In front of south, south is right. You have uh, desert. And with that, you had the, probably the, the most extreme uh, example of what happened was this, the city of Haifa, Israel's one of Israel's biggest cities, um, which had to evacuate 60,000 people because of these fires. That's a lot of people. Um, and then when you go to isolated communities, there were isolated communities all over the country that, got, that had to be evacuated. A community that I had lived in for 20 years but left uh, to my new community a couple years back called Beit Meir or Yushalayim. Some of you may be uh, OJ, a gap year program, had to evacuate on Thursday night because they were wildfires. Um, we were with four eighteen 18 over Shabbat for Shabbaton at the, uh, outside of Jerusalem, also in the, in the hills, at uh, Kibbutz Hotel of Malea Hamishah. And just before Shabbat, they were debating if we needed to evacuate or not because the fires were, were close by. And unfortunately, one of the neighboring communities did burn a lot and lost a, a restaurant. It was a, a very, very um, un, uh, uh, unpleasant uh, week in Israel with these fires spreading, some of which... Um, are, were likened for arson, and have even been now categorized as potential terrorist acts. Um, the vast majority, not though.
0: Do we have a sense of the proportion of how much of it was arson intentionally said as opposed to?
1: I think they said here, right? There were have uh, nine communities, or nine of the fires have been have been identified as arson. So we're talking about, um, you know, seventeen hundred fires. So nine or something of like them, or maybe even maybe even maybe double or triple it. You're still talking about the vast minority are because of arson.
0: It's funny because I don't know if you guys had this experience talking to people, but I found people were mostly reacting to the arson, that that got, that that was pretty much everyone's focus, um, even though it, it does seem now to have been a very small amount of the fires.
2: Because I think um, the arson attacks, or at least. Uh, promoting the, the arson attacks is what sells. This is what's uh, interesting uh, in the media. Um, and and it's, it's a shame because I think that the media had minor, but still a, a role in spreading the word and perhaps uh, uh, s- metaphorically spreading the fire in Israel.
0: Which
1: may
2: actually
0: practically, in this case, spread the fire also.
1: So there was stuff going on in social media, especially in Arab social media, stuff like that, and a lot, and also in uh, in the Israeli and Jewish social media. Is it, is it arson? Is it not? I think a part of it was. It's very hard to comprehend how there could be that many fires so quickly. But the truth is, in many ways, it's just a natural occurrence um, because of because of the weather, and then
0: dry autumn weather leads to yeah, that and that exactly like you said earlier, that's what's happening. In the United States, at this exactly this time of year in Tennessee, sweeping wildfires, evacuating areas, no one's suspecting arson.
1: And nobody suspecting that anybody's targeting Dollywood, you know, in Tennessee, Dolly Parton's theme park. Um, on the other hand, one of the incredible things that happened is one of for one of the few times I think since the Carmel fire a few years back, which was the worst fire in Israel since until now, was um, the Palestinian uh, authorities sent fire brigades to help with the Israeli fire brigades, and they worked along together to put out the fires, which was a very encouraging thing. We see that, actually, in that when there were natural disasters, or even even in the midst of the Second Intifada, um, when there were kind of natural disasters, you saw cooperation between the two. If you remember the Versailles the, uh, building uh, collapsed in Israel, and there was, like, in the midst of the Second Intifada, and Palestinians sent help, and so...
0: Oh, and it wasn't just the Palestinians. I think it was very heartening to see how many nations... Right sent firefighting teams to help us sometimes we you know we're used to israel sending teams to help other countries when they're having a disaster to deal with and uh it was very heartening and i think we should be careful not to dismiss yeah the,
2: yeah not to dismiss uh, the help that we got from other countries i was particularly moved by the help that we got from cyprus for example or from uh, turkey um but again uh, just uh to go back to the point I made before about the media's role, what is is the media's role to just report what is, or to uh, and to report the news, or to make the news? And in this case, I think they had something to do with also spreading uh, the problem unnecessarily. And I just it made me think about BDS, for example. You know that BDS exists in many campuses, and it's troubling. But it's still the minority of campuses. And yet, in some uh, uh, news uh, uh, outlets, especially in some of the Jewish uh, newspapers, I uh, my experience is that um, the problem is exacerbated. And uh, in some ways, a self-fulfilling prophecy is created.
0: Because we're focusing on the negative. We're giving oxygen to that negativity to right. flourish.
2: Because, because drama sells. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and when we, you know, by having a better sense of proportion, where we'll, we'll allow those those types of things to wither on the vine. I think that's very
1: true. Yeah. Uh, it's also easier to blame someone than to be just random in a random act.
0: <laughs> okay, so all that being said, let's now focus on the arsonist, <laughs> which, which really isn't again the main feature of the story, but I, the reason I ask isn't because I want to talk about arsonists, but since they've arrested a group of Palestinians for creating for these few I think about 35. thirty-five Palestinians arrested for either being involved in starting fires or trying to inspire fire starting, my question is, and it's sort of a funny question: uh, Would you classify that as terrorism? Which is part of my bigger question, which is: What is terrorism? In other words, we we. We know it's real. I mean, is it like art? I know it when I see it. Or pornography? I know it when I see it. Or is it is it something that we can define and make distinctions?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I've looked up a bunch of uh, definitions of terrorism. The classic one that I have found in most places, this one specifically is from the Oxford Dictionary, is the unlawful use of violence and intimidation, especially against civilians, in the pursuit of political aims. So we certainly had here... In the arson case, violence and intimidation against civilians—is—is is it in the pursuit of political uh, aims? Um, you know, is any terrorism in the pursuit of political aims? I, I believe it is. So, I don't see much of a difference between setting a forest or a house on fire than blowing up a bus.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit more indirect in damaging physical lives because people have time to escape. But that I think would not disqualify it from that definition. It's attacking a civilian area to damage, maybe kill people, certainly destroy their property. And I, and I happen to like that definition very much. That's always my working definition. I've never liked that that people say, "Well, some you know, one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist, depending on if you agree with the cause or not." I disagree. I think it's a definition of methodology. If you're targeting civilians, that's terrorism.
2: And on that note, would you define some price tag attacks as terrorism?
0: Oh, sure. Burning, setting fire to an Arab's house, and, and, and an Arab child burns to death. Or, a or see, if it's vandalism, that's a, that's maybe a minor corollary of terrorism. But you've had price tag attacks on on, on Arab lives. You had that teenager who was murdered. Or it's yeah, it's why would that not be terrorism? I don't see why. In other words, if, if I'm making my distinction based on tactics and not based on ideology then, of course, Jews can commit terrorism in the name of Israel, and it's unfortunately done.
1: So that brings us to the other kind of news item on this that happened, unfortunately, in Ohio this past week, which was the the attack at Ohio State University um, when a Somali uh, uh, immigrant to America rammed his car into the sidewalk into... um, staff, students, and faculty of Ohio State University, and then got out with a butcher's knife and started stabbing people before he was shot, um, which it, it, I, I didn't see the news today, but up until yesterday, they were still questioning if it was terrorism. They Authorities
0: are questioning it. I would say most people watching the news have a pretty, you know, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. I think most people's visceral reaction was that it was terrorism.
1: So why is it, why? I mean, if I agree with you. And and it's a
0: tactic that that we've seen pioneered here in Israel. Very often we'll see terrorism tactics pioneered here and then brought elsewhere, plowing into people with a car and then running out with a knife.
1: So why why do you think they're having such a hard time in the American media to label something as terrorism? Well,
0: it's funny. I mean, are we agreeing on this definition of terrorism? I think
2: we are. And also I think you know let's not give it too much importance, whether it's a crime, a hate crime, violence. Or terrorism? Does it really matter?
0: Well, I think I, I would argue that I think it does, and I'll, and I'll get to why in a minute. But let's but first, let's take Alan's. I I think the the reason that Americans have trouble defining it is that for some reason in America, when people do something terrible like this, they're a lone nut. We have this pattern of people who, you know, a guy who walks into a Batman movie and starts shooting people, or uh, shoots a congresswoman in the head. These are crazy people.
1: When with, with no, yeah, let's flesh this out. what do you mean by crazy people? You mean that there's no network behind them. They're not part of part of a cell. They don't have a larger structure, infrastructure that's helping them or putting them out there.
0: Well, that's for sure true. But they also don't claim to be speaking in the name of some broader ideology. Whereas where was where was the church, the African American church, where a guy walked in and shot people in the middle of their Bible study? Do you remember? Was that Georgia? I, th- I think it was Georgia, but I could be wrong. I don't
2: think it needs to be on behalf of a group, or a larger right. network to be uh, defined as uh, terrorism. I think it has to be
0: part of an ideology with a political ideology. goal. And he said that his goal was to start a race war, that he was unhappy with the role of Africans and um, African-Americans in America. And he wanted to ignite a, race, a racial war. So I would say that that is terrorism.
1: And also, this guy, this Somali guy in in Ohio, also said he was uh, unhappy with the way the Muslims are being treated around the world in America, and this was his response. Yeah, I'm pretty.
0: I, I'm pretty comfortable saying it's racism. Although there are different types of racism, you ha- uh, racism, terrorism, terrorism. 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 Sorry, there are different types of terrorism. You have you have let's call it lone nut terrorism, which is just an individual inspired by an ideal. A lone wolf. You have um, organized terror cells, which are. You know, which are planned, for instance in, in Israel, if there's if there's explosives or if there's guns, that means somebody's put real organizational effort and money and funding in, into it. I think those are two very different kinds of, uh, of terror.
1: And then of course you have state you have state run terrorism, what um, made by Iran or uh, or others where you have actually a state apparatus behind it. And and inspiring the terrorism, like when they blew up the the building in um, in Argentina, the, the Israeli embassy in Argentina, um, in. Okay,
0: so if there's state-sponsored terrorism, then I'll ask you maybe an uncomfortable question. Uh, I'll take one example from history: the United States blowing up Hiroshima with an atomic bomb is a targeted attack on civilians. It's not a military target.
2: I to further, a political um a, a political goal
0: I would call I would be comfortable calling a terrorism by this definition and I think it's a it's an important definition
2: although what they would argue is that this is an act of self-defense that this was um, the attacks on America by Japan uh, by the Axis forces was um, um, the only way effective way to deal with it at the time was to uh uh, send a nuclear bomb on Hiroshima.
0: I'm b- I'm pretty doubtful. I don't want to get too far off because it's a tangent. But but um, if you look at what the Americans and the British were saying when Germany was bombing London, and how the the moral indignation over that, and how we would never do anything like that, and then you have no, we did. then we did, and and but before we did that, we were bombing only military targets. The 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 Allies had orders. You only. No, but there's a step before Dresden where they're bombing military targets, factories that are developing munitions and such, and they're missing because they fly their planes high. And so what they start doing is carpet bombing so that you can get the factories and not miss them, which means there's collateral damage. That's the interim step before Dresden where they're just firebombing civilians. And they're saying, well, the Germans did it to London. So that, that – we don't often like to – it's sort of similar to Zev's questions earlier. You know, can an, can an Israeli commit an act of terror? I think, of course. Can 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 democracies commit acts of state-sponsored terror? I don't think they do as much anymore, but I, I definitely think historically yeah, that's definitely they
2: did. definitely an argument that you hear all the time. What's the difference between Hamas' terrorism and Israel's sponsored Terrorism in the Gaza Strip. So what's what's the difference? So the difference is that in in the case of Israel, um, attacking Gaza, um, retaliating in the West Bank is an act of self-defense. It's not aimed at civilians. Um, It's not targeting civilians. It's um, um, in the case of Israel. There's also warning of uh, civilians. In the case of Hamas. They're targeting civilians in Israel and then hiding behind them in the Gaza Strip. So,
1: so I think that that's a distinction we have to stay with, uh, and that's what we're trying to and trying to sort of argue here. Is it's not about whether it's self defense or not self defense. It's whether about who are you targeting. Are you targeting military military targets, and then there are times when you target military targets and there are collateral damage, or are you targeting civilians? And the difference between Hamas and Israel is clearly that Israel always targets um, military military installations, sometimes makes a mistake, whereas Hamas always targets um, more uh, often, often. I
0: would say civilians. Israel even exceeds that because Israel attempts to avoid harming civilians even when there's a military target. Correct. And And sometimes, and you can question the morality of Israel sacrificing a military goal for the sake of preserving the lives of civilians, which it often does.
2: But why would you not put in self-defense... In the because, equation,
1: because Hamas and the Palestinians can argue that they're in self-defense. Also, they're self-defense against uh, against um, Israeli aggression. That, that's a.
2: That's I think wrong. That's also- but that's wrong, and that's a subjective view. It's yeah, not self-defense. Exactly. That's it. In the case of Israel, objectively, it is self-defense. Israel doesn't just attack Hamas targets out of the blue. It attacks when when it's being challenged, when it's being. Uh, um, attacked by rockets uh, indiscriminately by Hamas or Islamic yeah, but Jihad. I, but
0: I would argue that you may be mixing categories here. In other words, you're saying that is a... We believe there is such thing as moral combat. Moral combat is an act of, of preserving lives and in self-defense. And in Israel's military, its combat missions are morally grounded in self-defense. That's true. But if Israel then targeted civilians, it would be committing terrorism as an act of self-defense, which... Is not morally defensible. In other words, the, the the impetus for the fight, Israel's Israel's reason for fighting is always moral, and its method is also moral. Those are two issues. What's the cause's belly? Why is Israel entering into combat? Moral reasons only self-defense, um, which is why so many Israelis had a problem in in the invasion of Lebanon, where many felt from the civilian population that it was beyond self-defense, that we were trying to achieve a political goal by overthrowing Beirut. The first Lebanese war where Israel went into into Beirut itself, and they said, you're no longer stopping rockets from being launched into Israel. You're trying to overthrow a government and take over a country. And that's why it was so controversial in Israel, because they, most citizens or many citizens felt that it had crossed the line from self-defense into an offensive measure for political reasons. Um... Although the government argued that it wasn't. That
2: wasn't the case in in Gaza for Israel, of course.
0: I think that's the exception. I think uh, the rule is exactly what you're saying, that Israel's military, Ganali Israel, the Israeli Defense Force, lives up to, it was named intentionally Uh, because of its
2: doctrine. And Hamas can say our acts of terror, our our military acts, the rockets, the tunnels, are uh, um, self-defense, make up self-defense. But they're wrong.
0: That's fine. Although, I, I mean, whatever their goal is, they could argue they, they could argue it's self-defense. But to me, the argument is, for instance, and I'll, I'll ask another tough question. Would kidnapping Gilad Shali and killing the people in his tank be an act of terror by members of Hamas? Or would that be freedom fighting "Quote unquote" by Hamas, because they were targeting soldiers in uniform. So
1: I, so I don't think I don't like again. I, you said it earlier. Let's not discuss freedom fighting versus terrorism. But is is a is it a legitimate military target? That's what that that's the question. Now whether it's clear that Gilad Shalit was held with, under conditions which did not. Um, go with the Geneva Convention yeah no one's claiming the Geneva Convention was observed however the military if we're saying it's a it's a it's a combat situation military is an acceptable target as opposed to guerrilla warfare
0: that's guerrilla guerrilla warfare warfare, not terrorism and that's an enemy that Israel has to fight But you have to fight the warriors set out against you as well as the terrorists set out right. against
1: you. And that you know, and when Gilad Shri, Shalit surrendered, he knew he was surrendering under you know military conditions, as opposed to the three boys who were who were kidnapped in Gush which is clearly terrorism because I mean, teenagers
0: know, who were who were hitchhiking home were were picked up on the road and murdered.
1: Students, correct? High school and, and yeshiva students were not in military. None of them were in military. They they are not legitimate. Um, you know, targets, let's say. Well, that's interesting
0: that you're bringing up that they weren't in the military. Since Israel is a civilian army, would you then say anyone from the ages of 18 to 50 is a valid military
1: target? So so Palestinians argue everyone's a valid military target. They disagree with this you know, whole paradigm because they say since everybody's a potential soldier, everybody's a valid military target. I would argue that if you're in uniform, you are. I'm not carrying a gun. I, I mean, now I'm too old anyway. I was out of me. I needling. Mean, um, I don't know if our young whippersnapper Zev um, is still in Middle East, but certainly I'm not carrying a gun I'm not on military missions I'm not doing anything so I would argue not uh, if I'm in Middle East, if I'm in reserves I'm carrying my I'm carrying my weapon I'm in uniform uh, then guerrilla
0: warfare is attacking the the more powerful army when in uniform and that's why that's why George Washington wasn't a terrorist he, he acted guerrilla warfare against the British troops he didn't want to face them on, in the open um and uh, Menachem Begin, I would argue, was not a terrorist,
2: although many because define him as such. Because he was attacking the British He soldiers. attacked
0: military targets. Mm-hmm. Military targets.
2: And yet, if there were paramilitary groups attacking civilians before Israel was established, you would call that terrorism?
0: I would say when, when David Raziel ran the Etzel, the Irgun Lumi, that underground militia, and if a Jewish bus would be exploded, he would, he would order the blowing up of an Arab bus of civilians. I would say that that's Jewish terror. I, yeah, I'm not.
1: I, I, I think, but one thing we sort of have to get into a little bit now is that we're like in a different, a completely different time in terms of, of of how wars are waged, how crime is had, and in terrorism, it's like a whole new category that we don't really always know where to put it in.
0: Well, it's funny. I find very often people will be in a political argument about terrorism and i'll notice that one side is talking about it as if it's crime and it should be pursued like criminals and the other side's talking about it's war and it should be fought like an army and the truth is i don't think terror is exactly either but it certainly has elements of both um, one of the elements of b- it being uh, more like crime than war is that wars have distinct beginnings and ends more or less you know you can you can w- wade into a war slowly and you can pull out of it slowly but there is a beginning middle and end in, in a war as opposed to crime which is just an ongoing problem that has to be that that you can't expect to make disappear no one's expecting crime to disappear i would say terrorism in the world today you know the war against terror is a dangerous phrase i think for that reason is it gives this sense of beginning middle and end when in fact it's a campaign of terror fighting ongoing, battle, ongoing yes. battle yeah i think i don't know i don't know how else
1: to frame it which is why i think you're getting to murky grounds with this um certainly with the coming in of the trump uh, administration you know administration of saying oh we're going to wipe out isis or something like that it's not it, it's not so we see it's not so easy to end just like al-qaeda you know, still around. And you know.
0: well, we why, well, the damage we did to Al Qaeda morphed into ISIS. So it's a it's, you can't you can fight a group, you can even dismantle a group, but an ideology or a methodology, you can't stop from existing. And so the problems are more pernicious than something where in a war, once you defeat your enemy army, you've won the war. If I defeat Al Qaeda, I haven't ended terrorism. And that, so
1: and that these ideas exactly as we saw back in Cle- in Ohio, it wasn't Cleveland, was it? Or was it? The what? In the Ohio State. State.
0: Ohio State's near
1: Columbus. It's Columbus. That's right, Columbus. We see that it, it again. Lone Wolf, a guy who is inspired by an idea and goes out and does a hard act that really you know changes. That's not going to stop. Yeah, he was.
0: He was, he, has, he said he wrote. I think on his Facebook post that he was. He he did it in honor of Anwar al-Awlaki, who's been dead now for a few years, killed by an American drone in uh, Yemen. So Anwar al-Awlaki is dead, but his, his influence exists, even though the Americans got him.
2: Just taking it to another direction, in terms of our students, experiencing all this chaos, balagan, as they say in Israel, these attacks or just these... Uh, fires all across Israel, many of them wanting to support Israel from afar, what would you recommend to them, aside from posting news uh, pictures on Facebook and saying, wow, this is really terrible, what else could they be doing?
0: Well, first of all, I think that's pretty good. I mean, to be able to be communicating around about these things is very good. The first thing, obviously, that comes to mind isn't political, but it's fundraising. A lot of people do need a lot of money now that yeah, so, so much you know property that the
2: was. JNF, JNF is fundraising now so that they can plant more trees. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: I think that uh, w- uh, if we see, if we talk about intersectionality, um, it, it's happening in Tennessee, right? It's happening in America. These wildfires and natural things happen all over the place. That there's a, you know, uh, a very um, nice, I think, track that we can push the idea that Palestinians and Israelis were helping each other. And it's something that happens in America. It's something that happens all over the world. And that um, it's something that can bring people together uh, more than it can really um, bring disunity. And I think that that's maybe somewhere we could push. I'm not really sure how you could do that, but I think that that's a, a, a way to start looking into that.
0: I would also argue, and maybe this is maybe I'm cheating, or maybe I'm answering your question, but I would argue that <coughs> that holding the moral high ground by being people who are honest and and are giving and are representing our ideals is, you know, they say living well is the best revenge. I was just, it's not in the play. You, are you into the play Hamilton? Oh, it's so good. So uh, it's not in the play actually. I don't know why I was talking about the play, but well, I I, I know the soundtrack. So uh, it's not in the soundtrack, but uh, when he was in college, he was in King's College in New York. He, was, he turned for the revolution, but the president of the, of the college was against the revolution. And at a certain point, students and a whole bunch of other ruffians came, and they, they put up signs and they said to the president, he better get out of the country or they'll kill him as a traitor. And he didn't. He felt he wouldn't be intimidated. And so a few days later, a mob came outside of his office. And uh, somebody came and warned him that he better get away. And Hamilton, as this young 19-year-old whippersnapper, stood at the top of the stairs. And he was pro-revolution. He didn't agree with the president. But he stood at the top of the stairs and told the crowd he held them off, giving the the, the president time to escape. And there's this story that he stuck his head out the window, couldn't hear what Hamilton was saying thought Hamilton was egging them on and yelled out, don't listen to him. He's an idiot. I don't know if that part's true. But one of the things that Hamilton argued was, was that what you're doing, you're losing the moral high ground by sacrificing your moral behavior and acting in this barbaric way. You're hurting our cause. Our cause to be perceived as lofty has to hold the highest standards. And I think that when we, because we do that in Israel, explaining that to people. That the reason Israel has the high ground isn't only because its cause is just in its self-defense, but also that its methods, not only its ends are just, but its means are just. How carefully it, it, it protects civilians, even of the enemy, I, I think is in that spirit. And I, I, I think terrorism is the opposite of that. Because I feel I have a just cause, all my ends justify all my means. And it's simply not true. Terrorism is, I think, ultimately self-defeating. Imagine where the Palestinian cause would be today and what pressure on Israel would be like today if they had used civil disobedience over the last 40 years only.
1: Look at India. I mean, exactly India and Gandhi very very much, I mean... Look at
0: Gandhi versus Arafat.
1: By the way, or even look at the first intifada versus the second intifada. The first intifada, which was violent, let's not try to paint it as big civil disobedience, singing Kumbaya or We Shall Overcome, but the violence was a much... uh, It was was rock-throwing and it was protests and it was... Uh, But it was not the bombs and the bullets of the second intifada. So the first intifada ultimately pushes us to Oslo. The second intifada pushes us further away because that violent revolution as opposed to civil unrest is is, uh, much more destructive and then causes the other side to to close within itself. That would be Israel in a sense, I think.
0: I I think we have so much reason as Zionists to be so proud. To be part of a state which, which has which its 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 record is so impeccable. Not that nothing bad has ever happened. Of course, you have lone soldiers who will do, or lone citizens. But overall, I mean.
1: Decisions that are bit poorly made by, okay. by governments or by military people. That, that it happens. happens.
0: Uh, uh, democracies make mistakes. Democracies, you take them warts and all. But even democracies, you look at America and its mi- military behavior in the 60s, you know, in Vietnam, and compare it to Israel's military behavior in the 60s. And... and it, it, it's such a source of pride that we should have, that we have really a, a nation of stunning moral integrity in how we defend
2: ourselves. For sure, for sure, and I think we should we need to be proud of that. Uh, I still find in some circles the focus in the discussion is not on the um, high um, moral ground, but rather the critique of where we're not impeccable, where we do have problems. And I'm not saying we shouldn't strive for... Uh, um, better morality and strive to be better people, better country, but I think sometimes we overdo this tendency of uh, blaming ourselves for everything that uh, goes wrong or everything that every little thing that we do wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think you have to have a sense. You don't want to slip into a uh, what do you call that? Moral equivalence, where you say, well, they're doing bad things and we're doing bad things. Well, that's not true. They're, they're, our cause is just and our means are are morally questionable but but it's not the same at all and and that's something that we should again uh well in other words we by act we act in self-defense and then we we execute we have we have such oversight and such care to make sure that our military behavior is beyond the letter of the law of international law well, you can always quibble and you can say, well, we should have done this better, you should have done that better. And I, and I agree with that that's important to do in a democracy. We should have. Those are important voices.
2: It shouldn't be overdone, not by Israel and not by Israel's uh, supporters in the world.
0: Well, when Israel's supporters in the world, you know, when America blows up a hospital in Afghanistan and then reporters say, well, why did you do that? And, the, and, the, and the, the press person from the State Department says, well, you know, we have to take time to investigate how that happened and let's not jump to conclusions. That same State Department should be very careful when when blaming Israel for the same thing. So that, that's that's the you know holding Israel to a, a higher standard than anybody else,
2: or to impossible standards uh, yeah. sometimes.
0: Yeah, you, you consider you always have to consider what Israel's options are, and then say, did it take the best option? And if it didn't, in your opinion, you have the right to say that. But that always has to be in the broader context of the kind of democracy that Israel is. Which I think, I mean, uh, I think it's fair to say is really a lie to the nations. When America entered the second Gulf War under the Bush administration, the American military sent teams to Israel to learn how do you fight urban warfare in the Middle East so carefully avoiding civilian casualties. The Americans came to Israel to learn how to do that because Israel, Israel is so impeccably moral.
1: So, how, so final statements, how would you wrap up um, your thoughts on terrorism, morality… Um, war. Well, I feel like
0: I've done way too long saying my final statement, so I'm going to let you guys close it up.
1: So I think what we're trying to say here, really, the best defense is a moral defense. Um, maybe if we can quote the the, the current um, uh, first lady, you know, when they go low, we go high, right? And that 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 is the the ultimate goal that we're striving for. And when you're fighting terrorism. You cannot lose that moral objective that you have. Um, not, and not just for moral, practically, it works better.
0: <laughs> I, I, you know, I would argue that's one of the Bible's main messages, that when you're moral, things will work better for you.
1: Um, and I think that uh, Israel strives for that. That is our shi'ifa. Our that is our what we are trying to, to, to accomplish. Um, and I think we have a record to say that we're, we, we've done a decent job with that.
0: I think probably the best in the world.
2: Yes. And, and, uh, and I think, again, uh, um, you know, we, we definitely should aspire to the high uh, moral uh, uh, ground, not overdue with our self-criticism, uh, and also make sure that we're moral to ourselves, uh, not to open up another conversation here, but... You know, during the um, Second Intifada, when Israel went into Janine, Operation Defensive Shield, there were complaints. You know, and, and they didn't do what any other army would uh, uh, do—send uh, the air force or, or artillery. Yeah. They sent in uh, infantry uh, units into Janine, endangering the soldiers, and a dozen more of more than a dozen of soldiers were killed. Which, and is, there a w- which is a moral question. Which is a moral question—is you're being. Are you being over-moral in this war and thereby being immoral to your own people and to your own soldiers?
1: Right. right.
0: Moral questions are two-sided. You can't weigh one side of a moral but question.
1: They're also, uh, they're also military decisions. Um, Their military decisions, in terms, I'm saying, for the other the military side, military decisions are also moral decisions. Yeah, right. Right. But I'm saying also military decisions, knowing that, well, how much will the world and international community support you or not support you is is also. Part but of but it.
2: you're just
0: saying that there's, there's there's reasons to do weighing on both sides. As yeah. pointing out that you can't look at it as a one side. How do I defeat? Oh. My, there's also how do I protect my own men? You know, parents have sent me these 18 to 21 year olds into my service. I have to, I have an obligation. Okay. It's a, it's a complicated it's a piece of real estate. I think it's a great open question. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are, your responses, in specific to this conversation, but in general. Don't forget you can find us at our website, juisrael.jerusalemu.org, um, to be part of the conversation, to contribute to the conversation, writing a blog post or just posting to us and being in contact with us. Our goal is to have your back when you're on campus, things you want to know, things you're curious about. That's our goal. That's our commitment. So wishing you uh, a happy, prosperous week ahead till the next episode. I'm signing off. Michael Unterberg. Here's Alan.
1: Shalom from Jerusalem. <laughs>
0: Very spiritual. And up. Stay warm, but not too warm. Keep a little cold in here. Your, your All right. Take it easy. Bye-bye.